Yellow Mountain, Huangshan, is maybe China's most famous mountain. And a few years ago, I got to live in China for a year. During that year, I finally, near the end of my time there, a few weeks before I came back to the States, I got the opportunity to climb to the peak of Yellow Mountain, something I, I really had been wanting to do. One of my friends, uh, Sun Xiao, also known as John, he and his family lived on the very bottom of the slopes of Yellow Mountain. And he always told me that whole year I was there, you got to come and see this place. It just, it's so great. So finally, I found a weekend and I went out to visit John and his family. And on a gloomy, rainy Saturday morning, we set off to, to hike to the peak of Yellow Mountain. And okay, we, uh, we kind of cheated. There, there was a chairlift you could take halfway up the mountain, and then you got off and you could hike the, the other half up to the, the summit. As you can see, uh, first of all, I was just super pumped getting in that chairlift, and then this is what we found ourselves in. Going up through the middle of a cloud, dense fog. You could barely see the other uh, cars coming down that cable. I was really disappointed because this is probably going to be my only shot to see the world famous views of Yellow Mountain and here we are in this fog. Probably not going to see anything. But then the chairlift, it came up out of the clouds, above the cloud line. We came out of the fog and my eyes just shot wide open. It was, it was incredible. We, we got off the chairlift and I ran to the very edge of a, a sheer cliff and I just started taking pictures like crazy. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Like I was on a different planet or something. Like the movie Avatar was happening right in front of my eyes. And as I'm taking pictures like a maniac, uh, my friend John comes up and says, hey, put your camera away. Let's, let's keep going. You haven't seen anything yet. He was right. We, we con continued hiking up along these narrow steps carved right into the edge of the cliff hiked past these insane looking rock formations just jutting up out of the fog. And finally, after a number of hours of hiking, we made it to the very summit of Yellow Mountain. And it was incredible. I, I almost felt like I was going to faint. It was so cool. No, no picture will ever do it justice. Up there on the top of that, that peak, everywhere you looked, in every direction, all around you, you just saw these these huge peaks and cliffs jutting up out of the cloud line and it was it was like we were on this island on top of a mountain with the clouds like this fluffy white ocean coming and crashing and breaking like waves all along the, the peaks jutting up out of them just totally cut off from the world below in a world totally on its own above the clouds it was incredible I, I'll never forget what it looked like my friend John was right. I hadn't seen anything yet. Getting off that chairlift was just the beginning. Better views were waiting. The prophet Isaiah gives a message a lot like the message my, my friend John gave me. You ain't seen nothing yet. God's telling his people, the Israelites, through Isaiah, hey, you thought my blessings to you in the past were great? Yeah. Just wait till you see what I've got in store for your future. See, God says the same thing to, to you and me too. You ain't seen nothing yet. The, the past blessings that God had given to the Israelites, they really were amazing. Like, really, 
They were miraculous. They involved miracles. The big one we've been talking about here is the Exodus. God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. And the big, the big miracle with that, right? Walking right through the middle of the Red Sea. And this was like the big thing for the Israelites, right? Because here they're walking right through on dry ground through the middle of the sea. And as soon as they get through to the other side, Pharaoh's army and chariots and horses, they come piling in after them to try and track down and, and take the Israelites back to Egypt. But then the waters come roaring back over Pharaoh's army. God delivers his people. He defeats their enemy. This was the big one. The big account of deliverance that the people of Israel always pointed back to. They said, look at this. This is proof that our Lord, he alone, is the one true God. And he has power to protect his people. But the Lord did a whole lot more than just divide the Red Sea during the Exodus. He he gave so many more things to his people. He gave them the promised land and many more miracles along with that. Walls toppled down at nothing but the sound of trumpets. Armies of hundreds defeated armies of thousands. A little shepherd boy took down a, a giant. God's past blessings to Israel were just amazing. But Israel's response to God's past blessings was, was lacking. It was pretty pathetic. And God was not wearying them, burdening them with excessive demands, but they made it clear they didn't really want to go out of their way to praise and thank God for what he'd done for them. They weren't bringing him any animal sacrifices anymore. They weren't calling upon his name. They weren't wearying themselves for him in any way, going out of their way to, to praise him. The Lord had gone out of his way to bless and protect his people. They didn't want to go out of their way to honor him. Instead, they just kept burdening him with more sins. And if you read the, the book of Isaiah, like the whole book of Isaiah, you'll kind of notice there's this pendulum swinging back and forth in this book. Kind of almost every page, you see this pendulum swinging. One side, you have, you have God delivering his people, being faithful to them, rescuing them. Turn the page, the pendulum swings, and you've got the Israelites once again disobeying God, rebelling against him. Turn the page again, back to God, and he's once again, he's answering his people's cries for help, delivering them out of their troubles all over again. You see this pendulum swinging back and forth between God's faithfulness and the people's unfaithfulness. And sadly, we, we sometimes see this pendulum swinging back and forth in our own lives too, don't we? I mean, you've got to admit, God has done some amazing things for us. He gave us Jesus, his son, to live and die as our substitute for sin, to, to save us. He gave us his Holy Spirit through our baptisms. He worked the miracle of faith in our hearts. That's a miracle too. And he gives us all these earthly blessings and comforts on top of all that, more than we can even count. God has been so good to us, has blessed us so much. And yet, sometimes our response to what he's done for us might end up looking a little pathetic too. You know, God has not, not giving us these excessive demands that we have to fulfill. You can even make the case pretty easily that 
we have it much easier than the Old Testament believers. We don't have to bring animal sacrifices to God. We don't have to, to give up eating certain foods or anything. It's not like God is giving us this big checklist of chores we got to do each day and little boxes to check off. Okay, I got this done. I got to meet the requirements. No, God doesn't give us any of that. And yet we might not always go out of our way to thank and praise him for all that he's done for us. We, we write thank you cards to, to people to show kindness to them, even if the gift we got was you know, a relatively small gift. We'll still write them a thank you card, right? How often do we kind of put off writing a thank you to God for the many just above and beyond good things he's done for us? I mean, not, not writing a literal thank you card to him, but to say thank you with our lives, to say thank you with our, our resources and other blessings. We might want to cling to those blessings so much that we, that we don't really sacrifice anything for God. There's that whole thing, right? To give offerings to God as your first fruits, like from the top of your paycheck here? Um, okay, well... I have to pay income tax. I have to pay my mortgage. I have to buy food to be able to live. God can get what comes next after that. That's fine. That This is only logical. Not to get the, the top of what I make. I've got to take those other things out first. Or, yeah, devoting more time to be in God's word during the week. Or like serving him here at church or in the community. Yeah, okay. Honestly, who has, who has time for that? And Sunday morning's one thing, but... How can I afford to give up any other time? Doesn't God know how busy I am? Before we know it, the devil, he's pounced on our spiritual laziness. We kind of end up just like the Israelites. Are we maybe failing to give God the proper thanks and praise he deserves instead, maybe just burdening him with more sin? The pendulum swings back to God. Uh-oh. What's he going to do? He does something completely illogical. God forgets our sins. Listen to what he said again. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God doesn't remember the times we failed to thank and praise him. God doesn't remember the times our laziness got in the way of honoring him. He's blotted out our sins. That's a way of saying they are completely obliterated from memory. Wow. God blots out our sins. He does this by giving us Jesus to cover over our sins with that robe of righteousness. And this just makes no logical sense, right? God has given us above and beyond amazing blessings. And our response to that is usually pretty pathetic. But against all logic, God gives us even more grace and even more love. God forgetting our sins, it's, it's not like he has Alzheimer's or amnesia or anything like that. It's not that God couldn't recall our sins if he wanted to. It's just that God, he remembers something even more substantial than our sins. He remembers Jesus became sin for us. He remembers clearly. He remembers this. Jesus died on that cross, put our sins to death. They're gone. 
That's what God remembers. Not our sins. He remembers Jesus. Our sins are gone. They are blotted out. They are obliterated from memory, even God's memory. You see, God not only forgives, he forgets. Wow. And then he tells us to forget. He tells us to forget the past blessings he's given us, not because they aren't great, they are great, but because he's making the point, you ain't seen nothing yet. More and even better blessings are coming. This is what he said to Israel. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God even told the Israelites here to forget their favorite act of deliverance, the exodus. The exodus. And this is shocking. Saying forget the exodus would be like someone saying to us, yeah, the uh, Good Friday and Easter, yeah, forget about that. There's something way better. What? Are we hearing God correctly there? And of course here, God's not telling the, the Israelites to have like historical amnesia about the Exodus event. He's not saying that was totally worthless. He's saying that was great, but he's making the point, you ain't seen nothing yet. This new thing, it's going to make the Exodus look like nothing in comparison. So he's not minimizing the Exodus. He's just using the greatest event of salvation the Israelites pointed to to show that's nothing compared to what you've got coming. So what is this new thing God's about to do? He said, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, there were really two new things God was about to do for his people. The first new thing was to give them another amazing rescue from their enemies. This time, just like in Egypt, they were taken into captivity. During the lifetime of Isaiah, the empire of Babylon came and took Israel away, took them out of Jerusalem. They took them to their own empire in Babylon. A big desert separated them. But God says, I'm doing a new thing. I'm going to rescue you again, deliver you from your captors in Babylon. And it's kind of reverse of what happens in the Exodus. In the Exodus, right, there was a sea, and he split it so they could walk through on dry ground. Here, we have a desert, but he's going to give streams of water running alongside so they can make it safely through. And this picture of streams in the desert, in the wasteland. It's a, a, a common metaphor Isaiah uses to talk about that return from captivity. But there's a second new thing God's about to do for his people, and it's, it's not just a, a physical deliverance from captivity. The deliverance God had foremost in his mind is the deliverance from sin. That's what he's really pointing to here beyond that release from captivity. He's pointing to what Jesus is about to do. This new covenant that's in the works. Jesus is going to come. He's going to rescue the souls of all people. Jesus is going to come and, and make a way through the desert of sin and despair. Jesus is here to, to pave the way for his people to go to heaven with streams of living water running alongside this path towards heaven. And if that that idea of streams of living water is kind of ringing a bell. If you were here last week, that's kind of what we talked about, right? That spring of the water of life, which is 
the good news, the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. This is leading the way to heaven, that news of what he's done. And this time, this great act of deliverance Jesus is doing, it's not just for Israel this time. It's for all of us, for you and me. In the uphill battle of our lives, we remember these words. There will be streams in the wasteland, rivers of water in the desert. God is giving us the life-giving water, the soul-quenching water, so that we never thirst again. The gospel message. Jesus has saved us. He's blotted out our sins. But dealing with our sin, that's just the beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus is coming back. He'll take you to be with him in heaven. He's going to bring you to that new home we were talking about last week. I mean, as, as good as it is to live by faith and have and enjoy all these earthly blessings now, it's great. But really, we haven't seen anything yet. We can't even comprehend the bliss that is waiting for us in heaven. And just a chapter later in Isaiah, God also says this. He says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Like climbing Yellow Mountain, we've already come out of the fog of our sins. Jesus already swept them away. That salvation he's already given us, it's breathtaking. Like climbing Yellow Mountain, we've only just stepped off the chairlift. We can't even imagine what the views are going to be like from the top. Because even halfway up is incredible. Those great acts of deliverance, Good Friday, Easter, those are our big, big events that we point to each and every week to show, hey, look at this. Our God has saved us already now. And we're going to experience that full, full glory of victory, the full extent of salvation when we reach our heavenly home. All of God's past and future blessings, that's what leads us to to sacrifice our time, our talents, our treasures for him. Not just excessive demands that God gives us that leads us to do this. It's our love for him, our, our thankfulness for what he's done. And you see, Sunday is not just the one time you worship. Your whole life is worship to God. Even the, the, mon- the, maybe the mundane things that you think you're doing at work, week in and week out, even those things, that is an act of worship. When you faithfully perform your duties, you're showing love to God for the things that he's given you. That's pretty cool. You, you are writing a thank you note to Jesus by the things that you think and you do and you say that are in line with his will. He reads those notes. He sees those thank you cards. He knows that you love him. And you know that he loves you so much because look at all the past things he's done. Look at all the future things he's going to do to show his love even more. Like standing at the summit of Yellow Mountain, only once we're in heaven will we be able to see the whole picture and say, Lord, I had no idea just how much you loved me. Amen.